the first thing that comes to mind is staying connected and understanding what the true needs of the community are. Well, what I would do, you know, it's it's a learning process. I stopped beating my head against the wall. So if somebody didn't like what I was saying, I would just move on. This is guided by moral purpose, collaboration, compromise, and civility. Welcome to Crossroads Radio, bringing you local conversation and perspective straight from the heart of Niagara-on-the-Lake. I'm Claire Cameron, and today's episode is all about leadership under pressure. Across our community and across the world, people are experiencing unprecedented levels of stress, change, doubt, loss, and fear as a result of COVID-19. In uncertain times such as these, what does truly great leadership look like? And however we may be trying to lead in our own lives, what kind of personal qualities might work best when facing incredibly difficult situations? To explore these questions, I'm so happy to be joined by Gary Zalapa, Regional Counselor, Donald Zeraldo, founder of Inniskillen Wines, and Cindy Grant, Chair of the Niagara-on-the-Lake Wellness Committee. Gary Zalapa, Regional Counselor. How are you doing? How are you holding up under these remarkable circumstances? Well, thank, thanks for asking, Claire. And actually, I would think I'd like to say remarkably well, considering uh, um, considering February or even January, I had no thought we would be uh, going through what we've seen happen in the community this past few months, right? So, yeah, no, I'm really we're really lucky. Our family's really well. Everybody's good. We've got our health. God bless that. And uh, yeah, everything's good that way and uh, able to do work and work with council. I'm, I'm pleased to do that. So yeah. now I have to ask, what are you reading right now? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I think this is su- such a funny uh, coincidence. I'm reading a book by one of my favorite presidential historians. It's Doris Cairns uh, Goodwin. And Doris uh, wrote a ex- one of my favorite books, um, and it was called The Team of Rivals. Uh, and uh, it's really just a, a historical fact of Lincoln's presidency. Well, up until maybe today, we're seeing some pretty tumultuous times in the president's office, but I don't think it's anything compared to the Civil War. Uh, so uh, Mrs. Goodwin does a great job. She follows uh, the two Roosevelt presidents. Uh, so she wrote a book called uh, uh, Leadership in Turbulent Times. Uh, and it's funny when we spoke recently, I thought, oh my goodness, I, uh, this might be interesting. So I hope it's okay that I reference her book. I'm, I'm enjoying it really immensely. So, Is there any key theme or some golden nuggets of wisdom that you're taking away from this book? It looks like a really big book, by the way. It has a lot of detail on specifics, but it does have a general thought and, and she offers a general thought on this. And, and I think if I could capture it, it's Leadership is a two-way street, uh, right? It's something that doesn't happen uh, in a vacuum or a void. And I will say one little thing she does say, and I have to read from her because it's, she basically identifies authentic leadership, which I, I, I like that term. And it says, this is guided by moral purpose, collaboration, compromise, and civility which I think is really, I think she knit the nail on the head. So anyways, those are those are the broad strokes. What did you say her name is, Dorothy? Doris, yes, Doris. Doris, Doris. high Goodwin. five, sister, high yeah. five, nailed it. <laughs> yes, and uh, so I, I find uh, history is a, 
that's a place for us to, to, to pay attention to. So that's amazing. My next question here is related to history, specifically yours. When you think back to leadership experiences that you've had in your own life, what stands out as a favorite moment for you? I have some thoughts and they, and they may be, uh, it, it's really probably for me around sports. I've, uh, you know, well, well, I was uh, younger. I, I played hockey all my, you know, my, my time, I guess. Uh, I always looked, well, I was playing hockey in the summer and also in the winter. I really enjoyed it, right? And I guess for me, one of the big times, I, I'm, I'm trying to think the age, of was peewee. So it's around 12, 12 years old. And, and I was made captain of the team. And, and I wasn't the best player, right? And I, and I do remember the coach coming to me before the decision was announced and talking about what it would, and it was responsibility. Uh, and, uh, and they were looking for, at that time, I had maybe more, uh, I was more relaxed on the ice as I got older, maybe a little too excitable, but uh, uh, that was part of the role. So I, I think that's a, that's a bit of a fun thing for me. It's not as serious as a, uh, some other role, but for me, that was kind of where it started. You think it would be really council, but it's really, it really work. Um, giving, you know, getting tapped on the shoulder for, for a role that, uh, you know, when I was a rookie in my career, I would have never thought possible. And uh, now I kind of do that. So at work, how is your team holding up under pressure? And, and do you feel that you've had to change your style of leadership? Yeah. So, yeah. So the team's holding up well. So I'll start with that. Um, we really uh, grouped early uh, and made a decision that we were going to try to change the channel somewhat. Uh, and we were also going to change how we communicated with our network. Uh, and that was a big change. I don't think the leadership style changed so much. I think it's more of how we uh, communicated really is what changed like this, <laughs> as opposed to in person. Um, mm -hmm. But we made a commitment to, to do that on a regular basis where I really don't think we were doing that even before. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we should have been because uh, it's obviously capable or capable of doing it. Uh, so I think that's a big thing we learned uh, in our business and uh, we're doing our best to support each other. And I think that's the key now, people talk about leadership and great leadership and its qualities all the time. The word is probably way overused. So before COVID-19, what did the word leadership mean to you? Yeah, so uh, I, you know, I think in a couple of different levels, but I really look at, at, at people in my life who I go, oh, yeah, I would follow that person to the off the edge or whatever it took and maybe have a good story for this uh, uh, last year, in my son's school, we were able to go attend the year-end ceremony, and that's a Royal Military College. And I had an opportunity to uh, listen to uh, the commanding officer, uh, Gen Major General Vance, uh, speak. <laughs> and uh, not only did he display leadership and how when he arrived and how he spoke to people and interacted one-on-one -on -one with everybody, uh, but then his words and what he delivered and the message that he had, I was ready to go follow him, <laughs> let alone the, the 400 uh, cadets that were in the field. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're standing up there saying, oh, I'm the greatest. No, it's really getting kind of in front of people and being real with it and, uh, and inspiring them. And I, that's what I see. That's how I see it. Yeah, something I hear in that story, and it's a great story, is the ability to relate with people, uh, whether you're one-on-one, face-to-face, 
or speaking to a bigger audience of people of all ages, if you can connect with a big group of many people coming from many places, that's something that always impresses me when I see that in action. So when you think of that example, with COVID-19 now in the picture, has COVID-19 changed your thoughts about leadership at all? Or do you feel that there's a particular type of leadership that is that is needed right now? Um, you know, so I honestly don't feel that uh, the, the COVID uh, pandemic has, has changed uh, how I perceive we need leadership. Um, I think it's been needed uh, I think we, I think society, and it's just my feelings, uh, have been searching uh, for leaders that are inspiring, and I and I think we found some wanting. But I think COVID, what it COVID has done, has exposed that fact clearly to people. Uh, and and I think part of what uh, Ms. Goodwin speaks about is this leadership is, is done through civility. We need to find that, and uh, you know, and I, I and I and not to be critical, uh, you know, when I look at government, um, and I, you know, I, I look for that, and I, I, I can't always find that. Um, and like I said, to clear, we're in government, and I know that, uh, but I think I'm speaking about higher level government. I see a bit of a uh, a lack of uh, clarity with what our political parties are and where they stand and where they provide uh, thought leadership. And I think that we need to figure something out there. I, I think that our, we need to reorganize how um, we structure politically. I don't know where, what that means uh, as far as how where we're going to go. But I think our old style party kind of system, somewhat fractured and broken. And I, and I, and I think that's um, hampering the leadership or potential candidates to step forward because they're not all fitting in the boxes of the parties. You know what, I do want to pick up on that theme that you've raised, though, about how under periods of stress, sometimes our leaders can falter, sometimes great leadership can come from unexpected places. So Mm -hmm. if people are in conventional leadership roles, anything else that's that's sort of like a, a red flag, something for us as leaders to be aware of and really conscious of? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, I think if we could uh, avoid um, turning the, the weapons on each other, I, you know, and, and I, and I, you know, sometimes it's instinctive, perhaps, but I think we need to figure out the piece of collaboration. And, and for example, if you look at our structure in our council, like how the count, city council or the regional council, how the functionality in the meetings happen, it's very difficult to actually have a good conversation with each other. And that's structure, right? And I, yeah, I think there's a way to get past that to try to create some more open conversation, but still have your rules so your meetings are effective. The red flag would be, let's not beat each other up. We'll end here on a positive note. My last question is, I have to ask about the regional council situation. I mean, of of course, that's your official role, your public role in our community. And regional council is a particularly large team. I mean, I look at our council, it's only nine personalities that we have to deal with. You've got over 30 and some of them are incredibly strong, really, really experienced. Have you seen any particular qualities of leadership? And there's no ask here to name names, please don't. But any traits or talents or maybe even unexpected moments that have really lightened your feeling and and made you feel really positive about seeing someone else lead among that team? 
Yeah, so that that's a great question. There's 31, 31 uh, regional councillors. Yes, so uh, uh, you know, and I think that's respectful of the diversity in the region. So I think that's actually a good thing if we can manage it. Um, and uh, one thing that I, I continue to see, which which makes me feel good, uh, is uh, when uh, we will get into some difficult conversations, and we have. Uh, and uh, I find some uh, there's always it's never a one individual. There's always somebody who just rises. Uh, and and kind of recenters things with this kind of civility and re re reminding people where, why we're here again because sometimes the conversation can get a little off the rails right and you know, we've seen that uh, and I and I find there's a few uh, individuals that have done that and they're different every time which is it depends on the topic I've also had some folks reach out after uh, a difficult meeting with a nice comment and that's really appreciative even if we had a difference of opinion. Uh, I really I really think that's great because uh, that's what politics is about having the multiple opinions getting the job done and and so I really like that for me what I've seen so far and and, and the public doesn't get to see that right that that's not something that's very visible yeah so. it's not only about what happens in the chamber it's Absolutely. about all the other hours of the day so okay one last question then <laughs> sorry I I mean you know I love asking questions yeah. um, <laughs> You That's mentioned good. getting the job done, right? So when you think back when COVID-19 really took center stage in all of our lives, is there a particular action or a particular decision that you're really proud of or that you're really pleased to have been able to participate in in the last few months? Yeah, thanks for asking. And I and there there are, and uh, I would think the the biggest one is having the opportunity to be part. I think of the reshaping of government. Municipal government in Niagara needs a reshaping, and, and I don't believe amalgam. I don't believe amalgamation is the answer. I think that we need to create a hybrid, and regional councils been part of moving decisions forward uh, to encourage that conversation because it's not going to be a solution that comes from one level of government that dictates what that is uh, and uh, through the chair's office and through council we've made baby steps to try to start that conversation and i, and I i'm really glad that that's happening uh, i don't have no idea where it's going to go um, but i hope it goes to somewhere where it makes you know the the government function better uh, and covid's really just exposed that that the fault lines were really there before not fault lines in that we don't agree with each other but the fault lines in the structure so um yeah so i think that's good i think it's a positive sign that we get a chance to to maybe make some major impact that'll be big changes for the future so mm -hmm. uh, but we're going to have some uh docu we're gonna have some reports coming out in august that speak to these topics and then how we can liaison with the towns and the cities to to start to to see how we can work together Thank you so much for that preview, Gary, and for sure. all of your time today. Before we leave, what are you going to read next? Oh, what am I going to read? I've already got a couple. Yeah. Go. I've already got a couple on the go. I, one is for fun, and it's a bit of a reread. I am a big fan of Patrick O'Brien. He's a historical novelist um, of the the of my favorite. Uh, I've written his series, uh, Master and Commander, and it's about right. a 18, 19 books, and I think I'm on my fourth run, and it's better every time. Yeah. Well, Gary, thank you so much again for all of your time. It's been a pleasure Thanks. talking with you.
Donald Zeraldo needs no introduction as the co-founder of Inniskillen and a pioneer in the modern Canadian wine industry. He has been recognized over and over again as a leader with outstanding vision, foresight and determination. He's with me now. Hello, Donald. And how are things going for you today in this very strange time? <laughs> very good, Claire. I built a pool for Aspen, so that was the number one priority because all the pools are closed, as you know. So has that been your main focus over these last few months, getting home set up, or what else has been on your mind and taking your attention? Well, the, the vineyard, of course, uh, is the focus in the kind of agricultural side. And of course, because it's outside, it's been somewhat easier. So we've been focusing on making sure that everybody's safe, and but we need to get the work done because Mother Nature uh, is not suffering from COVID herself. So she's going to ripen the fruit and we got to pick the peaches and pick the grapes and we got to work around that and make sure that the workers are safe. It sounds like in the middle of all this chaos and change, that natural system, it's been a beautiful year for fruit so far. The grapes coming along really well. Yeah, harvest is going to be good. And Natchi Asper and I were just out picking up some stuff over in the farm and we reached out and picked three or four peaches. They look fantastic. Big, fat, juicy. We've had a bit of rain. We could use some more rain probably. But no, Mother Nature has been really good. And as you've probably seen, as we've all seen, Mother Nature is coming out. I mean, we've probably done a lot. One of the silver linings, I would say, of COVID is uh, the environment. I don't know if you're seeing this also, but where we are, we've never seen as many fireflies at night as we have this year. They seem to be all over. I saw that the other night out here on the uh, parkway. And I walked out to take out the garbage on Wednesday night. And it was just amazing. Well, we've touched on COVID-19. Of course, that's a huge theme in our lives now. But if you were to look back and think before COVID-19, what was the most challenging situation that you've ever faced as a leader? And how did you pull through some of those challenging times? The Canadian identity problem was one major issue. And until I took ice wine to Japan and Paris, Canadians didn't get it. Now they get it because we were blessed by the French, you know, having won the uh, Grand Prix d'Honneur. So, you know, with all due respect, you know, buy local, you know, and I think it's becoming more obvious. I mean, for us, it's important. Do some takeout. You can bring a bottle of wine. I mean, I'm Italian. You know, food is wine. It's not something that you shouldn't have. It's something you must have when you're having food. So when you think back about that time, having to convince people about the value of Canadian goods or products, how did you manage to change minds as a leader? Well, what I would do, you know, and it, it was, it's a learning process. I stopped beating my head against the wall. So if somebody didn't like what I was saying, I would just move on. And when I went overseas, it was like, I'll give you Japan as an example. I had 300 sommeliers sitting in a classroom style for three hours. Nobody moved. Everybody was paying attention. And when I was finished, they all came up and wanted me to sign their shirt. Like, I'm a rock star in Japan. I come back home and they're like, oh, you know, on the plane, Air Canada hands, uh, presents me with, in one hand, a bottle of French wine. In the other hand, California. And I said, where's the Canadian? Because I knew uh, Claude Villaday, the then chairman of Air Canada, put my Chardonnay. Oh, well, not many people asked for it. I said, well, I'm sure they don't if you're carrying these French in California. So go get it. Okay. So, you know, I drive people crazy. I walk out of restaurants. If you don't have a Canadian wine, VQA, on your wine list, I'm up and I'm out the door, period. And I think more people should do that. I think the idea is, you know, 
you can't confront people that have a mindset. The best thing, just ignore them and move on with life. Do what you need to do and communicate with the people that are supportive and engage them. And if it's a customer, focus on them and build their trust, then they'll keep coming back. Was there a moment where you started to feel, oh, finally some momentum is building? Absolutely. And what happened was that when we were, you know, at big wine shows in, you know, whether it was in California or New York City or Paris or Bordeaux, the uh, wine writers would do a magnificent write-up and say, this is unbelievable. These guys have taken something Germany's had for centuries and turned it into an international luxury brand. And then all of a sudden, the Canadians would go, oh, wow, you know, this is our wine. And I'm like, guys, where the hell were you for the last 20 years? Like, when you talk about leadership, you don't have to be president or, you know, chairman of the Chamber of Commerce or whatever other leadership positions are, you know, considered leaders. Step up and set an example. In your mind, what does truly great leadership look like when someone's under pressure? <laughs> well, you know, I wish I had the 10 points. I probably could go and write them down and we'll regroup again after. But I have a saying, you lead, follow, or get the hell out of the way. And following's not bad if you got a good leader. And I'm prepared to follow, like when I'm out biking and I've got somebody that's a really, like Mike, uh, who I bike with, he coached me on biking. I always follow his lead. Whatever he says, I do. But when I'm uh, in my leadership position with, you know, my staff, my partners, I got to lead. And I, as I say, lead by example. That's the best thing. You can talk, but got to walk the talk. Is there, do you find yourself trying to draw on particular skills or traits that you know because of COVID-19? Do you feel like you're adjusting your style of leadership? Yeah, I think you have to adjust. I think listening is something that we all need to do more of. You know, I tended to get an idea and then run with it. And like I said, you either lead or get out of the way. But I think now with COVID and, you know, we don't understand it as well as we'd like. We have many different philosophies or theories about what it's about. But I think if you listen to people's opinions and then make up your mind and just get on with it. And if people don't agree, not everybody's going to agree with you. But I think you have to take a position. And, you know, if you're right, everybody will then follow. If you're not accurate, make an adjustment. And, you know, that's part of uh, getting to the end goal is you make an adjustment. Sometimes you have to choose when you get to the fork in the road and you'll want to listen and do some research to hope you pick the right fork in the road. That sounds like a very accepting and practical approach to the risk of failure. Under pressure, that's probably something that can add even more to a leader's level of stress, the thought of making a mistake in a critical time. How do you think leaders should approach that fear? You have to accept making a mistake. I even, you know, in coaching people or mentoring people, you know, I say like when we're children, you know, you fall down a lot before you learn to walk. So I think you accept failure and just don't do it three times. Like you get the first chance, you get a failure, you supposedly learn from it. Second time, you've really got to learn. And if you don't by the third time, then it's time to get a new leader or move on. Now, I just want to go back to something you mentioned about following one of your friends with cycling, right? When you guys are yes. biking together. So when you think about other situations in your life, what kind of leaders or what kind of qualities make you want to follow someone? And if you were in a, a terrible situation, what kind of leadership would really pull you along? What I always, and I, you know, I'm an athlete, I ski, I played football at university, and we all had coaches. Tiger Woods has a coach, 
Michael Jordan has a coach. LeBron James has a coach. These are mature, high-performance athletes, and yet they still have a coach. And yet we think that we know better. So I think, you know, people need coaching and call that leadership so that they'll give you their opinion about what you should do. And collectively, you come out with the best results. Which, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, leaders get their head gets a little too big and uh, they won't get out of the way. And that's an issue. And unfortunately, that happens in politics, it seems a lot. No kidding. It sounds like <laughs> in addition to talking about leadership, the word humility might have to be a little close by at hand as well. I agree. You know, we've got a classic example in the United States. There's a serious problem with that leadership, not listening. Hopefully somebody will come along that will listen a little more to many of the issues that are happening uh, that need to be addressed. That idea of listening as well and being able to appeal to a lot of different people, that doesn't always come through in politics. Politics tends to be so much more about playing to your base. Given that you've had so many years of experience in leadership in the private sector, when you look at the political world or, or our local community as well, do you feel there's any difference in the skills that are needed to succeed as a leader in the private sector versus the public? Absolutely, because if politicians started acting as representatives of their constituents, instead of trying to get reelected and quoting the party line, you know, if you're playing sports, the scoreboard keeps score. And when the 60 minutes is up, the game's over, winner, loser. In business, there are certain uh, milestones and benchmarks, be it a budget or goals that are set that you have to meet as a leader. And you also have to bring your people with you. So you got to be a good leader to make sure the team's working collectively. In politics, they don't really, in my opinion, show great leadership because they're also worried about politics as opposed to doing what's good for the economy and for their constituents to make everybody happy. Do you feel that when public leaders are under unusual circumstances that that stress might justify bending the rules a little bit or that people get a bit of a free pass if they're under very stressful or unusual situations? No. Do you think there's even more responsibility on public leaders not to let those things get to them? What, what do you think? More. They should step up. And if you don't have the answer, just say so. And if somebody asks you a question, answer the question. Just talk less, listen more. Could be very useful. When I talked with Gary Zaleppa, he told me about the books he's been reading during the lockdown. Is there anything that you've gained some insight from recently or anything that you've been enjoying? I read a lot. I used to read, you know, the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Globe and Mail, and then I'd read the Star to get the other side, New York Times. I read a lot. And what I'm doing right now is I'm taking a course in Princeton, from Princeton, online, Buddhism and the scientific approach. So mindfulness is something that people should really pay attention to during these times, because you've got to be sensitive to the problems that people are having. And, you know, they range from everything, trying to look after your kids while you got a full-time job. And, you know, if they're at home, like, how do you manage? You got kids, you got council members, you got life to live. You make it happen, right? That's right. Uh, but it's something that I think mindfulness plays a big part. A good friend of mine, Dr. Lance Secretan, who's written 14 or 15 books on leadership, and he basically talks about these kinds of things, being more human, 
And he actually uses the word love in corporations when he teaches corporations and leadership. The reason I know him is he takes people that are beginner skiers, takes them to black diamond runs. And I'm a extreme skier. So when he first told me about it, I said, you're going to kill somebody. He said, yeah, either that or I'm going to make him a leader. He coaches you there. Like he doesn't just throw yeah. you on the top of the mountain. He'll coach you through it. And after a week, you know, he's saying, you know, if you can't handle it, that's good. Go do something else. Don't pretend to be a leader if you can't handle Like if you can't stand the heat in the kitchen, get out. Yeah. And at least maybe if you try something, obviously outside of your comfort zone, you might also surprise yourself, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, is there an orientation program for politicians right after they get elected? Yes, actually, there is. <laughs> it, it usually involves a lot of PowerPoint slides. <laughs> Thank you so much, Donald. Have a great day and enjoy that pool. Thanks, Claire. Bye. Okay, bye. I'm so glad now to be joined by Cindy Grant, who is the chair of the Niagara-on-the-Lake Wellness Committee. Hello, Cindy. Hi, Claire. How are you? Thanks for having me. You currently are in a role of leadership related to wellness and well-being across Niagara-on-the-Lake, but right. you before this have held other leadership positions in Niagara-on-the-Lake with the Horticulture Society and other groups. When you look back over your leadership experiences before COVID, what was the most stressful, high-pressure uh, situation that you had to deal with? Well, I mean, all of my involvement in the community has been purely volunteer. So I wouldn't say that any of it has been stressful in, in terms of the kind of stress you would have in your working life. Prior to moving to Niagara Lake, I was a consultant in the healthcare field on large projects and that brought its own kind of stress. The kind of stress I've experienced here has not been that kind. Having said that, there's always expectations, communication, 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 communication is so important in whatever role. One could feel like you talked until you were blue in the face and you thought you were being very clear and then you have the next conversation and you realize you haven't been clear. It's, it's, I guess you would call it a passion of mine. A lot of my friends and colleagues say that I'm crazy to be involved in so many different things. It's, uh, it's what I enjoy. I like being busy. I'd like to give back. I enjoy it. Given how frequent and how often it is necessary to communicate, to truly get your message across, are there some techniques you've found really useful or, you know, methods of communication that you've found really helpful, especially when people are feeling under pressure? What helps to cut through the noise? Uh, given the nature of, these town, of this town, the most effective way of communicating that I've found are through the two local papers. And I know we have three, the local, the Lake Report, and the Advance. But quite frankly, it's the local and the Lake Report that people read. If I, if I really feel that it's important to get a message across, that's where I'll go. And what do you think people want to hear right now? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't, on a very gut level, I think people just want to hear it's going to be okay. We are going to get back to some kind of a normal. And I think people, I don't know if it's what they want to hear, but I, I get the sense that people have got a hunger 
to want to get together with people. I think everybody knows it's not going to be the way it was in the before times, but get back to when we can get together in at the Shaw or at Music Niagara or at the, at the supper market or even at the farmer's market. Um, people, I think, are just feeling a hunger to return to the way of life that we knew and loved. But having said that, I am constantly struck with the new and innovative ways that people are getting together. I think we're going to see more and more of that new way of connecting in a smaller fashion. Do you think that relates to some of the things that community leaders can do is help to show the way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's restrictions to that. You know, there's still restrictions on numbers of gatherings and so on. But if in some way the town leadership, either formal or informal, and and I guess I'm now talking more informal leadership, could be seen to be getting a group of 10 or 20 people together. And then other people might feel more comfortable to say, well, if they could do it, then I guess we could do it too. And do it safely, yeah. And do it safely. Now, you are involved, obviously, as the chair of the Wellness Committee, which has a focus on all aspects of well-being for people of all ages across the community. It's a big mandate. It it Uh, is. And given that and your previous work experience, do you have any insights from your work that might assist people who are really feeling under pressure right now? I don't have any great words of wisdom there. Um, I will admit that since the lockdown in mid-March, the committee obviously hasn't met. We met for a first time um, a week ago. And we started to get moving on a few initiatives, but for the four month period, we really did not move forward. I struggled with it. You know, there weren't many days that went by that I didn't think, oh, we need to do something about wellness. There's ever a time in this world when somebody needs to address wellness, it's during this COVID period, but I just couldn't couldn't get motivated and that sounds bad, but I couldn't get motivated. I couldn't come up with any innovative ways of what we needed to do until sometime in April, I had a conversation with a friend who expressed some frustration about banking. And then we moved on to physician to an appointment with her doctor. It became clear to me that there is a, I have a sense that there is a group of people in town who are getting left behind in this new world because Everything that you do, you're being told, go to our website, send me an email, we'll get on video call. Just families and friends that can't get get together. And I just have the sense that there's people who either don't have a computer or have a computer or some sort of device and are not comfortable using it. And we're leaving that group of people behind. Um, So that's something that we talked about in the wellness committee meeting last week. There is a group that we, myself and a couple other members of the committee now, if in fact this is a real problem, this may be a problem only in my own mind. I don't know. You know what, Cindy? I think there's another layer to it where what you're describing absolutely is an issue of access and comfort and availability. Yeah. But then on the flip side too, people, people my age and people that are having to work now seven hours, eight hours, nine hours a day online, 
we're sick of looking at screens. We may have the capability, exactly. but Cindy, exactly. the pleasure that you feel when you get to see a real other yep. human in three yep. dimensions, or you yep. get to go outside and just look at a yep. tree moving in the breeze, that is yep. so it's so refreshing, right? I, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. But, you know, you can't live your whole life in two no. dimensions. I'm hoping that the library will be able to open soon and that we can start to use their facilities. So that's one area. Uh, Transportation is another area that I think maybe the COVID situation has kind of exacerbated a bit as well. I was disappointed um, to find that the on-demand transit program from the Niagara region did not include Niagara-on-the-Lake. Not yet, hopefully hopefully coming and hopefully mm -hmm. soon. That sounded like such a great opportunity when oh, I know. first came I, forward. Yeah, I was so excited about that, particularly for St. David's, Queenston, the rural areas where you know our local transit doesn't even serve. The other thing I should mention before I forget in terms of providing leadership to the town is the library. I think the library is doing a terrific job, just a really, really good job of keeping people connected. Again, it's all online because that's all that's available to us right now, but they're doing an exceptional job of, of keeping people connected. Well, that's a nice kind of segue into one of my next questions here, mm -hmm. because I wanted to ask your thoughts on what truly great leadership looks like amid chaos, when it feels like the world is falling apart, how do we identify those beacons that we can follow? The first thing that comes to mind is staying connected and under, understanding what the true needs of the community are. Yourselves at council are getting bombarded at all sides. There's directives coming from the province, directives coming from the region, comments and thoughts from the community and you in the in the council leadership have to kind of digest it all and and develop a clear plan of what needs to be done but layered on top of that needs to be what's the right thing to do for our community that's tough to do because there isn't just one monolithic community there's many communities with many different ideas and different constituents of, there's the farming community, the broader agricultural community, the residents in Old Town, the, the, the younger people, the, the people with daycare. But I think it's important to have an ear to the ground in all of those constituents and communities. And really, yes, be, be, be willing to make a decision and stand by it, but having heard from as many people as possible as an input into that decision. That's such a great point. You know, even under normal circumstances, it can be a challenge to make sure that you've got the clearest view possible and the clearest understanding of the most different aspects of your community. Right. Because the dialogue on public issues can often get distorted if there right. is a particularly loud voice in the room or a particularly right. strong voice in the conversation. Under normal circumstances, I always want to try to do a gut check with 
your typical person on the street for whom yeah. life is amazing because we live in an amazing place. Now it is much harder to make those connections sometimes when we can't have the coffee breaks we used to or exactly. And 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 that's and so that is becomes even the bigger challenge um, is how do you really know what everybody's thinking when you can't get together with people? And the demands coming from all sides are so great that you don't even have the time to stop and talk to people, even if you did have time, even if you did have the venue to do it. If people aren't getting together now to face-to-face discuss their true feelings about politics, where is that discourse happening? Is it just not happening? Because I don't think that your typical person feels that social media is a safe space anymore for honest dialogue. You know, so if not, then yeah, how do we keep that alive too? I think it is happening only in smaller groups. Like I say, I have a group of five other friends and we've, since the weather started to improve, so say late April, early May, we've been getting together every Saturday night for wine and and a meal and a potluck type meal. So I think some of that is happening. But just in a, in a smaller, just smaller. Yeah, I was disappointed. Well, just kind of my heart sunk when I was listening to the news today. And Teresa, Dr. Teresa Tam says we could be in this for another couple of years. And I thought, oh, well, yeah. it is it's going to be a marathon. And that being yeah. said, if we need perseverance and patience and if yeah. we need endurance. Yeah. If you think about those kind of qualities or anything else that's been on your mind. Is there somebody like a a leadership figure from the past or from the present that's really inspiring you right now or someone you're looking to or something you've read recently that's just giving you a little bit of a boost right now? Well, this is going to sound corny, but um, I was on a bit of a road trip this weekend. And so I was in the car for two or three hours. And I listened to I listened to Michelle and Barack Obama's Michelle Obama's new podcast, and she was interviewing her husband, and it it did it did give me a boost it really did, I mean that's that's politics writ large I know that it's you know it's it has nothing to do with Niagara Lake, but just their just their overall themes and optimism and hope really did give me a boost. That's wonderful. And Cindy, hey, any source that we can get for optimism in our lives, I think is always a good thing. It's so easy to say no and to come up with all the reasons, especially in a time like this, come up with all the reasons why something won't work. Right. I want to think about what we can make work. That's right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I need that. and, And that's. And that's kind of my overall philosophy in life is don't ever tell me no, because I'll find a way around it. You tell me no, my my stubbornness will find a way around it. So don't ever tell me no. Cindy, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure having a chat and be well. You too. Thanks, Claire. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Crossroads Radio and welcome your thoughts. Get in touch via Twitter at TheClaireCameron and all the best on your own leadership efforts in our community. 